Welcome to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast with your host Nicole Rose from the Solidarity Apothecary. This is your place for all things plants and liberation. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Layla. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear people's feedback. I personally found it really moving, so I'd be glad to hear what other people think. Today's interview is an interview with a herbalist called Rashika, who I'm sure a lot of you listening will know. She's definitely made an impact in terms of K. And um, yeah, we've known each other a long time um, from various kind of radical herbalism things. I think she's amazing. She's such a beautiful example of someone super embedded in their community doing lots of kind of community herbalist activities so yeah hopefully you'll find it inspiring I think especially if you're maybe like studying herbalism right now or you're just kind of like wondering what to do like after you finish your training not that training is ever finished by the way like obviously you keep learning but I mean in the sense of like yeah how you want to be in your community like do you want to run workshops do you want to host a community garden how do you want to organize um, and I think Rashika is a really beautiful example of that. So we talk about all different nuances around kind of, um, yeah, around her work. Just one announcement. I'm teaching a practical medicine making intensive in September. I know it's quite far away, but I wanted to kind of do the bookings and admins stuff before I go on maternity leave so it's three days it's absolutely tons of fun we learn everything from tincture making glycerites infused oils bruise ointments um yeah all the things harvesting like it's like just very hands-on very practical and yeah people last year absolutely loved it I loved kind of teaching it and hosting it I don't do many face-to-face things um so it's yeah it's quite a kind of um fun kind of special part of the calendar and I will probably have a baby on my hip well I will have a baby on my hip by then um all being well and yeah I will have um childcare support to be able to give the learners all the focus they need but um yeah I'll put the link in the show notes I just want to say that you know there are subsidized places available for people on super low incomes who you know who need that there's also the ability to pay via like payment plans like I can set one up for you so yeah just get in touch basically if you're interested or book it directly um I'll open up the booking bookings for things like food and accommodation like later on in the year but yeah just in terms of your actual course place like that's available now on the store section of my website and there's a course page where you can find like all the information about what's covered and you can read some testimonials and see some gorgeous photos from last year okay but for now please enjoy this um amazing interview with Rashika and um yeah let me know what you think okay take care Okay, welcome Rashika. Um, please can you introduce yourself, your pronouns, like any political affinities or projects you'd like to include? Obviously, we're going to dive into detail of all the things you do. But yeah, if you could just kind of briefly introduce yourself, that'd be amazing. Hi, Nicole. Thank you. Yes, my name is Rashika Ahmad, pronouns she, her. And um, I practice as a herbalist, medical herbalist, community herbalist in London, um, still in North London. And projects I suppose my clinical practice the name of it is Hedge Herbs and then at the moment a key project that I'm part of is called the Community Apothecary in Waltham Forest where I am which is um, a project that's based around community access to herbal medicine through taking part in herb growing and medicine making. Amazing. So we know each other from back in the radical herbalism gathering days which feels like a million years ago now. But for folks who don't know you and all the like incredible things you do, can you share like a bit more about your work as a herbalist? Yes, yeah, sure. So 
Yeah, it was a while back, wasn't it? 2013 at your at your London Somerset um, that we first met. And in a way, that's been a big part of my journey as um, a herbalist. So I have a clinical practice uh, where I am in London a couple of days a week. People come to see me for consultations and treatment, and I'll do that, do consultations with them in person, and I do it where I live at home um, or online, and then we'll be making medicines for them and supporting people in their their healthcare situations and journeys. Um, And then I've always done quite a mixture of different activity in my practice. It's never been just clinical practice only Um, and I think that's partly through the connections with friends and with people that I studied with having conversations around what it means to be to practice as a herbalist um, and particularly around um, things like access to it who can access herbal medicine within the context that we live in today Um, and that was a big inspiration really for getting involved in the radical herbalism collective originally with Unicol and it felt like when I first qualified that it felt a really exciting thing to be doing and there was a great desire to share it, I think. So with Charm, who's um, a friend that I graduated with from Middlesex University, we quite quickly after qualifying started to do different things like offering herb walks locally and workshops around um, introducing people to herbal medicine. So that has led to me really following that path in my work and doing a lot of community-based work where we come together in groups to share knowledge where I've been teaching about many different aspects of herbal medicine Um, and you in the first question you said um, were there any political affinities and uh, in a way I think very widely and I guess we'll go into it more but um, I feel politically in my work I'm really about seeking out ways that we can build healthy relationship, healthier relationships and systems that in, address imbalance of flow of power um, because obviously that is a massive aspect of how we experience life, isn't it? And I think that were the things we talked about with the Rad Herb Gathering were what are all the things that affect health um, politically, looking at it through a framework of, yeah, all of the inequalities and healthcare injustice, social injustice and environmental destruction that are affecting our health as communities and as individuals. So I think that always is a thread through the work that I'm doing. Um, But it's been a very fun journey to not to be practicing alone, but always to be, I know you do this, um, but to be in collaboration with other people in the work. Um, And then yeah, I suppose a big key element in recent years has been the Community Apothecary Project um, that I mentioned, which is a collaborative um, a project really where we're growing medicine gardens together um, with people and with the herbs that we're growing, making remedies and medicines collectively. For me, it's all about how do people come together to learn about herbal medicine, where it fits what role it can play in our lives um, and how it can connect us with the land that we live in um, but also with our own bodies and our healing journeys amazing so yeah like I can see on your website and stuff and all the things you put out that there's this kind of like strong piece of like being a community herbalist and obviously you do you know clinical practice as well but what does kind of like yeah being a kind of community herbalist mean to you yeah it's such a nice question that because people do it in 
many different ways, don't they? And I think my way really developed just through doing it rather than having a big, strong vision at the outset. I just followed this path where it felt like, oh, this is such a collective communal activity historically and traditionally in cultures all over the world, isn't it, to to be practicing together with our knowledge of our relationships with plants and the seasonality of it and going out together to harvest. And um, for me, it was, I think it's always been about knowing a rich mix of plants and a, a wide range of people in the place that I live. I always remember um, when I first went to study at the Scottish School of Herbal Medicine in Glasgow and Keith Robertson, um, who was one of the founders of the school, said to me, oh, you need to really be rooted, grounded in a place to be a herbalist with your fingers in the soil. And I think I did come to realise that later And because I guess I have been a person that's moved around a lot and doing this work in a way has meant that I've stayed in the one place that I've, where I'm living now for the last 12, 13 years. Um, and that feels like the way that you do develop a community practice, doesn't it? That you, it takes time. Um, and But yeah, I think for me, it means being in relationship with lots of different people, um, knowing what the land is around me, the streets and the wild parks and where the places are and sorry where the plants are and where they grow at different times of year um and also being open um to questioning and to difference we live within the you know settings of a lot of difference don't we Uh, and not having sort of fixed or rigid ideas around that and yeah being able to learning and to responding to the needs that i see around me um and a big part learn part of my learning last couple of years is realizing that you also need to have space for your I need to have space for my own health because you can get so excited and driven by your work that you're just doing nothing but that um and I'd say I feel I feel like a really a life part of it is sharing connections between each other so being a, a channel a flow between people it feels really nice and satisfying to be able to say oh I can't necessarily help you with this particular thing but I do know someone else that that may have the capacity or the skill to help with a certain thing so sort of being this yeah being part of a web of connections where people are able to support each other mutually and not being a gatekeeper of things yeah I think that's some of the things I'd say in response to that question yeah I've always thought you're like a real like amazing kind of like node in herbalism of it's like you meet anyone in London who's into herbalism and they're like Rashika 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 <laughs> and it's like yeah I, I think maybe you don't realize your impact almost of it's like very local but actually it's still like much broader than that if that makes sense in terms of inspiration and relationships and like um yeah I think I'm quite jealous because I kind of like used to do shitloads of community organizing near me in this feed avalon workers co-op like community food courses and stuff and i think i just got so burnt out from like facilitating and hosting groups and like i guess the demographics near me like the biggest local town is glastonbury and it's like i just don't always feel like affinity with people um like politically or just kind of I have maybe a bit of like new age prejudice stuff going on because of my politics and my childhood and stuff so I've kind of like yeah like yearned for that local community but like 
struggle with it at the same time, if that makes sense. And my whole life's been going to prisons all around the country, visiting friends. So it's like somehow all these people affected by the prison system are like my community, but we're not like geographic. Does that make any sense? Um, Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I really hear you on that. Because I remember in those early days when we first did the gathering, didn't we, at your place? And I remember you were more involved with the the sort of food projects and that so but I really understand it because when you are it's about your experience isn't it and where your work is and I've obviously I've been following your work and your writings through the time I think we sit in in quite different positions don't we in our work and sort of conversely I've always felt that you're doing such powerful work in the in the real sense of resistance and activism aren't you and I sometimes feel about myself well, I'm a bit mild I'm not doing things in that very directed political way um and I think it's a journey of going oh we all we all have our positions don't we of of where we're sitting and what we're contributing to things and it feels very strengthening to know that you're there doing that and critiquing the the relational dynamics that we live in because they're always present aren't they um and how is it that we that we are with them that we respond to them so I think as it feels very strong to have you to learn from, that we have each other to learn from in the journeys that we're in. Um, and I know for sure that, you know, everyone I'm in connection with through through my teaching and different networks here in London um, are always in awe of your work and, and the things that you make. Um, and your books are always present, you know, in, in workshops and this kind of thing. Um, so I feel like, yeah, what are the lessons that we can learn from each other as we go on about how we connect and how we relate? Um, because they must be relevant, mustn't they, in in in, in all these different spheres? Um, and yeah, I guess with your work, it's quite a special, isn't it? There's not there are people, but I don't know of many people here that are doing that very particular um, intersection of her plant medicine, herbal medicine in the prison abolition and the resistance to state violence work. So it feels that we, yeah, we need to be supporting each other, don't we, in, in our different strands of work and how do they influence each other as well? Because um, I think, yeah, even in the community work, it's very possible, isn't it, for uh, for the inequalities and for the weird dynamics of power that are present everywhere to, to still replicate in the garden, in the community gardens. And it's like, how do we, yeah, how do we go about responding to that? In what way is the fact that we're doing community herbalism work, how are we also bringing in the political framework and that sort of reparative justice lens or paying attention to access and inequality? And that's something that, you know, we're still really figuring out I think in for example in our project here yeah I hope that sort of made sense about yeah because we all look at each other don't, don't we and what we're doing and go oh they're doing amazing things and um yeah 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 I really see it as like different like niches almost in a whole ecosystem of things that mm. are going on and mm. like I was writing this piece for this state violence book herbalism state violence and um about kind of like responses to like war and um you know like in the second world war all these different like herb committees and stuff that were harvesting plants 
um, to make medicines with. And it's like the backbone of that infrastructure is like always local, right? Like it's always people and relationships and infrastructure that they know each other. They've got the skills to make medicine um, and harvest together and like share knowledge and stuff. And it, yeah, it just kind of shows how like, yeah, you need like all of it. But yeah, in terms of the community apothecary, could you share like a little bit more? You've mentioned it already, but like a little bit more about like what's happening with that and what it involves? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really true. It sort of works at multiple levels, doesn't it? It makes me think of Organic Lee that we've been closely connected with that are a food growing workers co-op here in, in London where we are. And they very um, explicitly in their mission and statement and so on talk about working really at the local level and developing skills in people and changing the local food system but also having the political aims um, around liberation and supporting the peasant farmers movement on a, in a global way so yeah I think it's true what you say that it works at these different these different levels um, and yeah community apothecary has really been supported by organically and that's where it feels like collaborative approaches um, and solidarity with each other have been so helpful um, but the project started it's been in I suppose um, it's really grown through a bit through organic iterative phases through the last maybe five six years and it started off I'd say with uh, me doing lots of teaching around London and taking lots of things you know and you're always slogging around with loads of things and materials and stuff um, and carrying things and going, oh, I wish that I had a place. <laughs> this is the commonest wish, isn't it, of everyone? Wish that I had a place that we could just do everything in. Um, but also realizing that, you know, starting to do teaching and workshops and things in Walthamstow and all around London through the years, starting to realize that there that there is such um, such a core of people that really love this love this are connected with herbs are connected with plants with going out and learning about the landscape but also making medicines there's plenty of people isn't there that are already herbalists not necessarily having done what what you and I have done in the sense of a degree course but they are just innately connected with plants and they're doing things themselves at home or in their community um, and it's some this is the type of thing we've always been talking about with the radical herbalism collective is around the different kinds of practices of herbalism as a sorry as a herbalist and um what does it mean and that sort of hierarchizing of different forms of knowledge um but yeah so meeting all these different people and I think that's one difference as well between London and places like where you are um and places where there's just there's fewer people in London you've just always got this um infinite flow of people that are coming through with strong ideas and inputs and skills um so that's felt like it's been a real big part of my practice developing is I've had this abundance of people to to work with but yeah coming uh into this place of having lots of connections between people and with different projects around London and gardens through my work I started to feel like oh it's such a collective communal practice doing herbal medicine and lots of hands make it happen um like it's a lot of labor isn't it if you're a herbalist who's doing a clinical practice and then you're doing other activity like teaching and then you're medicine making and then you're going and harvesting herbs i remember anwen from the rad herb collective saying each one of those could be a whole job in itself and, and 
So I start to feel like, oh, it's such a lot of work and we need more people to do it. And maybe through this process of teaching people, it could be that we form a collective of people that are interested and through their learning, they're actually making medicines together. And if we had a place to do that, that would be the apothecary, the place where people come and get the herbs, but also come and learn. And it could also be a clinic. So in a way, it's not a completely novel or original idea. And it was a little bit me going, oh, I can't do this on my own. We need to do it all together. But also having a vision of a place that people could come to to be supported in their healthcare, but in a way that's peer supported and not maybe not necessarily with that whole hierarchy of, you know, the practitioner and the person that's coming for treatment and it costs a lot of money. But how do we do it in a more mutual and collective way? Um where it's co-created and you know having this vision of groups of us going out and gathering herbs at different time of year as a way to also be in our landscape and to know the cycle of the seasons so all of this and every every time I was teaching or doing an activity I'd just speak to people about and say oh I want to make this community apothecary and who's interested and I started to build a mailing list of people that were saying yeah yeah we'd be interested in getting involved in some way and then through speaking with uh, Brian Kelly, who's a member of the co-op um, Organic Lee, which is this food growing amazing project in Chingford in North London, where they've got a growing site on the edge of Epping Forest, where now it's grown into um, quite a multi-layered project where they grow food. They do a, a veg bag for the local area, for Waltham Forest, borough of Waltham Forest, do a lot of horticultural training do various different projects um, that are centred around land care and things like biodiversity. Um, so, yeah, multiple things they do and do have a good track record of supporting groups in the locality and different projects to get going, you know. So, yeah, I feel that they have um, a strength of belief in saying we are not the only people doing this work. We want to be in collaboration Um with others that are doing it and support, like you said, an ecosystem. Um, so, for example, at the moment, they've set up a food growing partnership or network around the whole area that's about supporting the growing of food, the distribution of food um, as a way to uh, make, yeah, make better health in the in the eating of people in this area. But anyway, I had a conversation with Brian at one point a few years ago about this idea of the community apothecary. And he said, oh, it's a really good idea. Why don't you make it real? Um, bring it out of the ether, put it on the street. And it was because of that, really, that um, it started to take shape because Organic Lee then started to include the idea in project sort of funding bids or project plans that they had. And having uh, access to land was a big one that they have lots of connections with with the local council and with um, housing associations and private residents with little pockets of land where it might not be being used and they may have a system set up where they were sending food, food growers that they'd trained to start growing salad and veg in these sites. So they started saying to us, oh, look, there's a space here, there's a garden here, why don't you, do you want to access it and come and start growing the herbs and that could be a way to actually root the project um in the in the ground because at that point I, I was connected with Izzy who is uh, had been training with organically and had got funding from unlimited um, to start a little garden 
where she was growing herbs because she was interested in ecotherapy and she wanted to uh, make products with the herbs. And then Jimena, who's um, an amazing grower at that time, was growing salad with growing communities and she was also very passionate about herbs and the three of us started to think about what the project could look like. And so concurrently through Organically, we started to cultivate these herb gardens. Um, and that was probably around 2017, 2018, that kind of time, uh, the very start of it. And it's been on a, quite a big um, journey since then where uh, we started cultivating herbs. It was, the idea has always been to involve people locally to understand, okay, what are the healthcare needs in our community? What sort of herbs might we grow in response? And then how do we involve people? So we started to grow herbs and to do monthly medicine making workshops where people could come together to learn about making a specific remedy, a seasonal medicine with the herbs from the garden. So they we share knowledge together. They also gain the skill of making the medicine. But then we also make a big batch of medicine that would be then available locally. Um, and that's pretty much been the structure of it since then. But we've mm, developed and changed and through the every year become a little bit more established we've um we've actually registered as a community interest company so become you know a business a company that brings with it a whole lot of stuff um i guess as you know uh, and we've got four people working as a collective now so there's uh izzy um myself and also johnny and jane two others who have joined us um to work um, at the main garden that we have which is a place called Mulberry Close in Chingford where it's a big hillside allotment that we're growing herbs um, and do sessions every week that people can come and get involved in learning about the land and about um, cultivating herbs and then harvesting them through the year. Um, I'm going to stop there because I feel like I've been speaking for ages in case you want to jump in and ask anything particular. No, that's amazing. I was just wondering, just as just like shameless personal curiosity, but um, yeah, now you've registered as a CIC. I know, yeah, I know <laughs> from experience what a nightmare all that stuff is, but it does enable you to get grants and resources and stuff. Mm. Um, do you have anyone doing things like in a paid capacity, like coordinating stuff or teaching things, or is it all kind of um, like, is everyone a volunteer or like how how do you navigate that stuff? Yeah, so I'll speak about that. And so when we first started, it was voluntary. Um, we were all just doing it because we were exploring the idea and we wanted to see what could happen. Uh, at the moment, we're all paid, all four of us. So it's been a journey from those early days of the three of us, Izzy, Jimena and I, starting to have meetings and think about what could a community possibly look like. At that time, we were all working in our own work as you know him in as a grower is he doing training and and different bits of work and myself in my clinic and the other things so at that time it didn't feel immediately like oh we need to be earning money from this it was more we've got this vision we've got this dream how do we start to step towards it and then as we went on we were obviously putting more time into it um as the garden yeah as the gardens became made yeah as organically practically said oh we've got these gardens do you want to start cultivating them that meant we were obviously putting time into thinking about what how were we going to cultivate these gardens um we were really fortunate yes that's what happened so as it began and I was teaching and um we had 
the blessing of being supported by this organization called Necessity, uh, which you know of, Nicole, I think. Um, and that was has been through a personal relationship in a way with one of the people who coordinate this project, which is about supporting uh, people and projects that are doing grassroots work. And it's about giving seed funding, really, uh, but doing pro yeah, supporting projects that are, I'm just going to kind of read from their website, um, projects that explore and expose the oppressive ties of the circumstances that we're living in to seemingly inescapable powers and systems. Um, and so they're effectively supporting projects that are uh, resisting or challenging or transforming oppress systems of oppression that we live in um, and uh, building so solidarity and collaboration between us all. And through this connection, yeah, with Julie, one of the people from Necessity who had been, who had a personal interest in, in the community herbalism work and had come and said, oh, would it be helpful to have financial support for this project? Which I was like, obviously like, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so it's really, yeah, that's been a, a major um, empowerment, I'd say, in the development of this project is having that support uh, from necessity. It enabled us to start paying ourselves a little bit to get, you know, to be able to pay for infrastructure of the gardens in the beginning, like building a shed and getting tools, um, buying plants and buying seeds, this kind of thing. So we had this startup money. Um, and then as that went on, it feels like it does go in this inevitable direction, doesn't it? Because the three of us, we're definitely, we're not business people. Um, we had this dream of what we were doing, but we didn't necessarily have the idea of, oh, we're going to have to put all these systems in place. But again, through Organic Lee supporting us as, uh, in a way, um, a bit of a mentoring organization um, and showing us the ways that they'd developed in early days as well as people like Nat from Hackney Herbal has been really supportive um, because Hackney Herbal originally set up as a CIC as well and it's in a way yeah it is um, a structure that enables you to apply for funding and it means that it's community interest companies so the whole idea is that whatever income you make you're putting it back into the work which is oriented around working in your community so, yeah, we just went more and more in this direction of going, all right, so if we're going to continue this and we're going to build it, then it does need resource behind it. So we started to apply for different pots of money as well, again, supported by Brian and Organic Lee. So things like Awards for All from the National Lottery Community Fund. And then there's been other pots of money that we've applied for, like last year's from Groundwork, um, which is an organisation that uh, looks at um, land regeneration and environmental stuff and we got a, a bit of a, a pop from them um, from the Our Space project so there's been these different sort of community garden environment these types of funding pops that we've been applying for uh, which has meant that yeah we've had to become more systematic about what we need you know income wise and now that there's four people so yeah we've been paying ourselves I would say for at least the last three years for the hours that we do um, I think, as you know, you're always doing loads more work than than what you're being paid for. Um, but it has been, in many ways, a big labour of love. Um, but there has also been a commitment to it. And we've got this steering group, um, Kat and Mel, who are always saying, look, you do need to be sustainable. So you need to be able to keep living and keep working, doing it. 
um, and figure out ways that whilst being fair and still keeping the project it has always got to be accessible how do you also sustain it financially um so at the moment the four of us are paid we've had we've got one other uh gardening horticulture um sessional worker and trainer kathy who's um paid we had a little phase of paying sessional workers for coming in to cover garden sessions and workshops um and then through the last year i've had to sort of pull back a little bit to really focus on okay we're going to need such and such amount of money each year um to keep running it and thinking about applying for more funding and so on so yeah that's always a concern isn't it like how do you keep it going what are the ways that you can keep going while still um living in your beliefs and your values um and the funding system is i mean we're really blessed again to be being supported um by organically and brian uh, who's uh you know work working together with us on doing funding applications um yeah and it's a time i guess isn't it when there's ever more focus on health and well-being in connection with the the natural world as it's called and green activism and all this kind of thing so in a way there there are resources that we can access that way um which you know as you just said it's just such a whole another world isn't it that I didn't start being a come into being a herbalist to do so that's been quite uncomfortable as well (laughs) yeah I know I know the fundraising game well is very is very tiring I think it's great to talk about it and be Mm. like for people to be like not honest about it but it's like yeah like my my personal opinion around funding is that like if something can be funded like if something is too radical to not be funded then I'll do it for free like I will traipse around the country visiting friends in prison I'll organize abolitionist stuff that like no one's ever going to fund or I wouldn't want them to fund because you know we we want to have like total integrity or whatever but like for things that are like <clears throat> you know can tick that box on a grant application why not fucking do it right like I used to love it with Feed Avalon that we could pay people like we had five people working and nearly everyone before the co-op was on benefits like single parents and like then people like you know like really improve their lives by getting paid right so yeah I think I think it is um necessary for like yeah long-term projects you know I also really acknowledge this whole not-for-profit industrial complex stuff and this horrible grant cycle and things but um yeah no super interesting um so yeah, I also had a question because you were involved in the mobile apothecary, right? I know all these projects, it's like apothecary this, apothecary mm, that. Mm, mm. Um, <laughs> I think you mentioned you're not involved anymore, but I just wondered if you could speak to what that kind of involved or where that project is at now, if you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so mobile, it started, I think it was around 2018 and it was coming out of phytology um which is a um kind of a multi site in a way it's an art site specific installation location it's a medicine garden it's a woodland and it's located at a place called Bethnal Green Nature Reserve um in East London um and it's got a big lot of story around it but um i suppose where i came in 
was through Shemessa, who's a friend who had been working in community gardening and permaculture and um, Islamic ecology. So I'd known Shemessa for some years. She's also been at the Radical Herbalism Gathering. And she practically got a job at uh, Phytology at Bethnal Green Nature Reserve, um, working with Michael, who had initiated the project, the Phytology project there, um, as a way for people to access um, green space and biodiversity and develop biodiversity in a you know very intense urban area of London. Um, and it was a time when, yeah, I suppose it's the same time that I was talking about the ideas of the community apothecary and this circularity of sharing of resources through our connection with the land and through growing herbs um, and the idea of collectively uh, I suppose collectively connecting with herb growing and medicine making uh, and how can that be a way to mutually support our healthcare where we live so through conversations with Shemessa, um, who was saying, oh, you've got to come to phytology and we should be, we should do some things there. And it was also around the same time that of having conversations with Melissa and you and, you know, people around uh, the activity of going to support people living in, in refugee camps in Calais and Dunkirk. Um, and that whole idea, that, again, that solidarity model of, right, okay, if we have the capacity, can we bring herbal medicine to people in response to, you know, materially in response to, um, you know, the horror of the physical situation, but also as a way to um, articulate our resistance to these systems of uh, border violence and racism. So, yeah kind of a mixture of all these conversations and because we um I felt quite yeah I'm starting to feel quite I suppose quite located in where I live and looking at the systems where you know where 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 I'm very present um the streets where I live and thinking oh in a way I feel like I want to put my energy into responding to healthcare inequality here where I live and so, yeah, through conversations with Shemestra and Michael uh, and a few other people at that time who had come in through the route of being interested in the Herbalists Without Borders activities. I think initially we'd been talking about making medicines in the garden that would contribute to that project at the time of going to Calais. Um, but then we sort of um, shifted the focus a little bit and started speaking about how numbers of rough sleepers in that area in Hackney seemed looked like they were increasing and about refugee community kitchen that were doing hot food hot food distribution uh, regularly at Bethnal Green Tube I think once a week um, and in a couple of other locations through the week and so we started to say what about if we did um, workshops where we come together to make medicines and then those remedies we could give out um, on the street um, alongside Refugee Community Kitchen and that's how it started really we did one little pilot workshop in the garden it's a very beautiful space that that Bethnal Green Nature Reserve um, with a medicine garden uh, and so we did a session that was pr pretty well attended and people were really into the idea of the sort of pay it forward model as Lorna um, from Herbalista always used to call it this way of exchanging where people contribute or pay for the workshop and that covers the materials and the time 
um, some of the time with the facilitators and then through that process we collectively make medicines and so that's how it began I think we start doing monthly sessions at the garden or in a community centre next to the garden to make batches of certain things that um, from talking with the refugee community kitchen and people that were accessing it you know finding out what kinds of things might be helpful in terms of herbal medicine on the street so um, sort of things like warming joint rub joint and muscle rubs and balms or cough syrups and this kind of thing and that's how it started and I think went on for probably a year or so um, in that model of the workshops making the medicines coming out oh, and then yeah so Michael had got funding to um, have a cargo bike made that was originally meant to be for another project but then he said oh well let's make this the, the mobile apothecary and we'll bring it out so we would come out I think initially it was once a month on alongside the RCK um, and start giving out medicines and that's how it began and went on for a little while um, but then changed uh, because of the COVID situation happening um, at the start of 2020. Amazing what what was the kind of um, response like from like people who were like houseless or rough sleepers and hackney and stuff like because I think yeah, it's like it is such a different model to Calais in the sense of we're always driving people to hospital or like advocating like in the clinic, like in the like the French state clinic for healthcare and stuff like that. Just wondered like what what kinds of medicines were kind of given out specifically and like if yeah, like what other was there any other kind of um responses to people's health needs, if that makes sense, or was it just like hey, this is the thing, like, this is the pack, you know, kind of hope it's helpful sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, very much, yeah, because it is quite a different situation, isn't it, where you're working this quite uh, intense, acute, yeah, sort of context, whereas we just appeared, you know, in a way there are, uh, it's not always straightforward, is it, to say, right, okay, here we are, we're going to come and start giving medicines, and that's always been a, a discomfort and a caution of mine of, I suppose it's something you learn as you start practicing as a herbalist, isn't it? That you can't just start pushing herbs on anyone and expecting everything to be fine. And that's a big part of the, the sort of learning I've done through the years that we have this underlying system, particularly in this country where there's such a disparity between the dominating primary healthcare system and then other modalities like herbal medicine. Um, so I think it felt quite important at the beginning to to understand it. So I've always felt strongly that we need to understand what the needs are and then, yeah, this is how I feel, and then be responsive to it. Um, so we might have our ideas of what could be useful as such medicine. But I think in the beginning we turned up, we had the mobile. We'd done the initial workshop where we dug up. Okay, so that's how it happened, That um, because we'd been talking with Melissa um about remedies that were being made to bring to Calais and one of them was the cough glycerite um, or cough syrup and it was partly with Ella Campaign route and um, there was a big lot of Ella, beautiful Ella Campaign at the Phytology Garden so the very first workshop I think was about that we went to the garden and we dug up um, Ella Campaign route together and learned about the plant a little bit and then in workshop came and washed it and chopped it and I think gave Melissa um a certain amount of the dried root and then went through the process of making a syrup together as well um so that would have been 
one of the early remedies that we brought, but a big part of it in the beginning, there was a little crew of us, maybe about, you know, six, seven people initially that we would come out together. Not everyone, it'd be sort of three people um, coming out for a session where a big part of it was talking to people. And because we were setting up alongside the refugee community kitchen, hot food distribution set up, we had the chance then to chat with people. And obviously people were curious because it was another thing, a new thing next to it. We would always have a big pot of tea, uh, of something seasonal that we would give out to people. And the medicines were for, for anyone, anyone that wanted to come and take some, they could. But obviously the, the sort of primary intention was to support people who were living in, yeah, houseless conditions or not having access uh, to healthcare, um, or as 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 much as was necessary for them. So we would then chat to people and say, "What, how, you know, what would be helpful for you?" But the beautiful thing in the reception of it was that plenty of people were really enthusiastic, and that was so nice because, and also people from many different cultures. So people, you know, the way that people get it often, if they've grown up not in the UK, where there is this. Um, it's real hierarchy, isn't there, of belief in, in healthcare in different systems. But a lot of people from Europe, from Asia, from Africa would come and be like, oh, yeah, I know this. This is familiar to me. We use this in our, you know, in my place, in our family. So there was a bit of an immediate connection um, because it was herbal medicine. Um, and we started to have a few people that would we'd see regularly every time we were there who would stand and chat and uh, also start to feed back on some of the things. So, yeah, I suppose we had a bit of a system of asking people uh, what what they would find helpful or useful and also asking them for feedback on the remedies. So a big one, a big sort of popular or favourite one initially was the skin-type preparation, so uh, joint and muscle rub and also uh, a skin balm that was made with calendula um we we experimented with a few different remedies i think through that first year so i would facilitate workshops with shemessa um and then we had melissa come and do i think one or two through that summer um so we're trying to understand to figure out what yeah what is really helpful for people and there was a few we had a book where we'd every time we were out write feedback or write requests that people were making um, and be responsive to that. So, yeah, I think, yeah, things that would help skin, obviously people are experiencing a lot of different skin situations with chronic infection or rash or uh, irritation and effect from cold. Um, and then some digestive things and then respiratory was a big uh, area of health, like people living with COPD or... Uh, yeah often having coughs colds this kind of thing um, so I think we started to be responsive in that way always having some form of immune tonic and fire cider I think uh, is something that is great to make in big batches isn't it um, and to give out and so you'd have quite um, yeah yeah you'd have really informative conversations with people about how they found it and they might suggest things themselves that they knew or that they'd made that they'd found helpful so it felt important for it to be, a, you know, an interactive, communicative process. Um, 
in in terms of yeah the effectiveness i think yeah that level you feel like you are supporting people because they return and they keep asking for more remedies um and it is helpful in terms of how it connects in the wider ecosystem i think that is always an ongoing challenge and then at one point i i um i think probably two or three years ago because the community apothecary project was um becoming more and more established and taking up more energy and capacity i felt that it wasn't possible for me to be part of organizing two major projects in that way so i stepped out um, and i can talk more about how it's continued as as far as i know but i'm not directly involved with it anymore and the covid also was a big interruption in in its development um but i remember melissa coming one time and talking about okay to be potentially more effective perhaps it's also about developing relationships with other healthcare provision in the locality uh becoming part of an ecology um where things are connected up because obviously there's so much going on isn't there in people's lives especially if people are living in th- those sorts of circumstances um so yeah you may be supporting at a certain level but how much yeah where is it acting um uh yeah at a deeper level in the whole system is something to think about yeah i think yeah i would love to have another podcast interview with people that have done similar projects like because i think there's just like so many layers to it isn't there of yeah like gauging community needs and like yeah how do you refer like if someone's got pneumonia and you've just given them a cough syrup are they then thinking that they've had treatment or like it's so yeah there's so many layers to it but also I think like people shouldn't be scared of doing things for fear of that if that makes sense like I think a lot of people don't practice community herbalism or like mutual aid projects stuff like this out of fear of it not being enough and actually you know it's really beautiful that you said you had a book writing down feedback like I wish we'd done that in Calais because it would probably be the best thing ever to like read back to yourself but like I mean we we get feedback from people in terms of medicines and stuff and assess needs but I mean like actual like beautiful comments that people have said like I think they've just disappeared into the kind of like adrenaline filled clinic if that makes sense um but yeah, the the next question was about um, a project, um, which again was also a long time ago, but I think um, I was hoping you could speak to it so that I could include a tiny little bit about it in this herbalism and state violence book. Um, I remember coming and giving a workshop about prison and abolition as part of your women's health project, which was supporting people who'd been like formally detained. Um, I can't remember if that was just people who'd been in immigration detention or whether also prison Um, But I wondered if you could share a little bit about how that project was designed and what happened in practice. Yeah. And just like, how did you find herbalism supportive for women who'd been in detention? Yeah, the Women's Health Project. So that is quite a long, lot of years ago now. And that was um, initiated by Lisa Fannan, um, who's a friend of both of ours, who's an amazing person that's done a big mixture of work um, around yeah, around healthcare, um, activism, systems change, writing, performance, many things. Um, and yeah, Lisa had had this idea of starting a project to support women who had been detained, and it was immigration detention, but other um, 
people who have been through the justice system as well, not only immigration detention. Um, and Lisa had been has been such a massive inspiration in the sense of, um, I mean, she was part of the Radical Herbalism Collective and had done a lot of uh, peer sharing community work around, um, yeah, radical approaches to healthcare. So I've been working with Lisa doing things like teaching of workshops, for example, at Walworth Garden, which is a community garden in South London. Um, and she'd had the idea of developing a whole um, project around herbal medicine as an empowering modality for systems change and doing it, it was called In Our Hands. So the idea of having the knowledge and the practice in our hands and having more healthcare autonomy. Um, and so that was always such a strong um, guiding principle in her work. Um, the, the political analysis with how we approach the healthcare. And so this particular project, it was really developed as the idea of not just the provision of a service, um, but as a way to support people to access different healing practices whilst also exploring resistance to the systems of injustice with the, you know, with the prison system. Um, and what we did was gather together a little collective of different practitioners. So um, we had myself as a herbalist and there was different massage and massage practitioners and body workers um, and Caro who's doing sound healing. Um, and yeah, the, the, the aim of it was to connect with women who both were already in prison or were being supported by organizations after um, their time in prison and so we connected I think it was a charity called Women in Prison can you remember Nicole I'm not sure if it was that or if it was a I'm not I'm not sure I'd have to I'll, I can check with Lisa yeah 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 um, but yeah so there was a we were trying it through a few different channels really and we had been going to um, see about actually coming into I think it was it was Pentonville to work with women there and there was the idea of working around nutrition um, and cooking and it just felt like there were yeah in that particular aspect there were barriers um, and it didn't work out to do that and then we were offered space at this particular charity's um, offices to work with people to work with women offering different sessions so it's quite a mix really so we had group sessions uh, where we were doing collective practice around things like massage and the sound work and then one-to-one -one sessions um, with say as um, with me offering herbal consultation and treatment and then body work as well um, and yeah we, we set up as a program of a certain number of months I think um, with this idea of having this sort of political framing of it um, and I think in some ways it was beautiful because we did connect with a group of women who were able to come together and a big part of it was around developing more autonomy in self-care practices, um, which to some extent did happen. But again, I think in the way, um, as is so common, because it was um, a project-based funding pot that we'd got to make it happen it meant that it was time limited so it went on for a few months and you develop these relationships with people 
um, which feel meaningful and which feel important at the time. And I think to some extent were helpful, but then obviously we weren't continuing the project. Um, and so that, um, you know, that stopping, that lack of continuity means that, okay, how far have you gone in your aim of um, sort of conveying the politics of what we're doing? And people were in, were in such different situations. So you've got people, women that were coming out of prison um, who are from here, who obviously are living in circumstances that have elements of trauma um, in them, and then other women that have gone through the immigration system and, again, were coming from places often of extreme trauma and pain, and then it's being exacerbated by the journey that they have to go through here, arriving here and going through the detention system here. So, you know, we're coming from very different places in this. We had a lot more privilege in, in being able to offer this, but also we're not necessarily staying with them as, as they continue on their journey, if that makes sense. So I feel that there were, um, there were strong aims and desires in setting up the project, but then in how it works in actuality, there, there are maybe problematics. Um, and working within the context of that charity organization as well that you you know you meet people working there and they're not at all coming from the same place that we are they're working within very particular confines of their belief system and what what they think it's good to do what they are happy for us to do and not for not to do and quite sort of very political I suppose about it um, so they weren't necessarily that supportive of where we were coming from um, practically so yeah I don't know it felt like uh what we were seeking to do would have been more possible if we were able to do it more on our own terms um in the spaces that we were in and in the time scale that we did it with uh, but at the same time it was an amazing work to do to make connection with some of the women that we met uh, and were able to to interact with during that time uh, but it was really painful also to hear their stories and hear what they'd gone through and to feel somewhat helpless about how you know how much we could uh, play a role in that trauma um, that is going on because of these systems if that makes sense um, yeah I don't know I feel like there's always a discomfort with coming to people saying oh we've got this to offer you uh, when there's such a disparity in the situations that you're in, isn't it? There's still this power dynamic. And I remember feeling that in Calais going with Melissa. It just felt quite angering that we were coming and we had this power to be able to offer this, you know, this medicine or whatever to people who are, you know, from their lives and their cultures and their backgrounds are fully capable of doing the same thing. But because of the external circumstances the brutal conditions that they're living in that's the power the agency that's been removed from them um, and of course you know we want to come in solidarity uh, and as a way to express dissent with that situation ourselves but it often made me feel uncomfortable and question my own position and also be thinking about the knowledges of cultures of people that are being put in these positions and how by you know, by pressing them, we're also really cutting out the chance to to be able to share knowledge together. Um, so yeah, it was these kinds of thoughts, I suppose, that came up 
partly through the Women's Health Project. And it'd be so interesting to speak with Lisa now about it as well, because I know at the time as well, she was, um, yeah, not quite satisfied with some aspects of how that played out. Yeah, that makes loads of sense. And I think that dynamic in Calais is like, it's just like always present and it's always uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Like it's, yeah, especially I think there's almost this other layer of like, when you have some kind of strange medical role, like I don't wear a bloody like white coat as a herbalist or anything, but like it is that, yeah, it's just that like constant power dynamic um, that is, yeah, very like confronting. Um, And yeah, like I think it's interesting, almost like what you're saying about the Women's Health Project, it kind of also like illuminates like the, the strengths of say the community apothecary right that you can build relationships over a really long time and build that infrastructure whereas these kind of like temporary short-term projects are challenging because you don't yeah like you said you don't kind of get to where you kind of want to be somehow like I think I do a lot of like one-to-one consultations with former prisoners who contact me and I think because I've been in prison for nearly two years like I think there is that like slightly more like horizontal feeling but I think when I was you know getting out of prison and I had to interact with like charity workers or probation or you know it was like always like super dehumanizing right so it's like how how do we like not do that as herbalists who have some power because we've organized something and made it happen and we maybe we're getting paid or maybe we aren't but um yeah I could <laughs> I could talk about it for hours as well um but yeah thank you for sharing just in terms of that project like what was your role as a herbalist like were you supporting people kind of one-to-one with their health needs or what did that look like yeah it was mainly I think one-to-one consultations that I did with women from the group that wanted to do that we did it in a number of different locations as well around South London as I recall so yeah I would do consultation and then give herbs and then we also as a collective took part in a number of different workshops together um and I think that was what yours was wasn't it when you came to give the one about prison abolition um but yeah specifically my work was offering clinical consultations um and I think that's a a time when you know it's really good to hear what you've just said about the lived experience isn't it of how do you yeah as you came out what was appropriate support for you and I think sometimes as a I guess you find this a lot of the time as a herbalist when you're sitting in one-to-one consultation a massive part of it is just hearing and listening isn't it and um, people express that that feels like a big part of the support that you're receiving and I think also just coming back to Calais and that kind of situation herbal medicine is a different kind of medicine than pharmaceutical medicine isn't it and it brings with it a love and a power and um, that comes from its origins like where it's coming from in the earth and the fact that it is it's always been a medicine that brings with it the care of human to human love isn't it and so I think those things make it a little bit different but a lot of the time with that project I think I was just witnessing you know like a lot of the time you feel like oh the pain that this person is in and the trauma they've gone through it's not that I can offer a remedy that is gonna gonna big time fix that 
because that history is there and you're continuing to live within this system and so in a way sometimes it feels like it's you know it, it is a material medicine but at the same time it is representative of a greater care isn't it I guess that's where the solidarity comes in going like I am here with you and I you know I dissent with this that has caused you this pain and this trauma and I'm here to hear you to hear what you're saying and be with you in it um yeah 100% like I think it's yeah like especially with Calais like I think you know there's like completely legitimate criticisms around like white saviorism and you know why should you go abroad when there are like people um needing support like here for example but it's like I always come back to like I'm actually just prioritizing and privileging the feedback of people that I meet in Calais which is probably like over 10,000 people at this point and it's like apart from a couple of people who've maybe been like extremely kind of distressed like most people are like so appreciative of that medicine and like they've Mm -hmm. you know like I've had people that are just like I've traveled across Europe and I've never met anyone who will like change my dressing you know or clean my feet like we do like foot baths antifungal cream things like this and like I think you do forget how much yeah that there is that medicine of the medicines but there's also that like humanizing of like hey I'm going to spend four hours sitting with you in hospital and not leave you until they've seen you because like I fucking care and I think for a lot of people who've experienced such extreme kind of state violence like that is very like strengthening to them and like big time I think think it's the same with like people that I've supported getting out of prison or or like defendants like I think most people like haven't seen a health practitioner for longer than like five minutes right in their GP surgery or maybe in hospital but like you know you have like an hour with them and they can like share like all their stuff and be really like holistic and open about it and I think maybe because we're so like normalized to it like oh I've got three calls this week where I'm doing this with someone actually for that person like it can be so life-changing to feel like listened to and like cared about and like receive the medicines in the post and like I take that stuff for granted so much but like yeah you just forget like how yeah like how much that can impact like someone if that makes sense or like how much a workshop can impact someone or how much like forming a relationship with a plant can impact someone and like yeah it's just kind of it's interesting how we take it for granted because we're such like plant people but you just forget like how special it is you know when that's like like your first encounter or like not your first encounter but like an an encounter when you need it at that moment if that makes sense yeah yeah so much and that's so moving what you said you know that thing where people it's the literally the first care um with hands-on or with tenderness that they've experienced in this really brutal journey and that's that is life-changing as well isn't it in the midst of all the horror it's something that you remember I imagine you remember always um yeah it's true what you say and it happens all the time doesn't it people come and say oh that day I remember when we went on that hope walk and that's when I met you know mug walk for the first time and yeah when you're immersed in it for years and years you don't kind of hold that same sort of uh exhilaration or excitement you're like oh my god this is all amazing of course it is always still um but I suppose that's the the ongoing work isn't it that there's infinite potential for 
to keep um, supporting people to connect with plants and things. And I guess that's another big work of the, yeah, the continuity in the longer term, if we're able to support people, say, who have gone through the journey of migration and have been treated harshly and are in a land that they don't know and don't feel especially welcome in. And people have said, so for example through the community apothecary there's there's a few different ones now isn't there community apothecaries around the land and Mariam Salah who's um, someone that had come on a course of mine in London but then moved down to Totnes and has started the Totnes community herbal project and has spoken with me about that experience of um, of being a refugee and coming to place and discovering land and plants and how that was such a massive um, way in which she felt more rooted and more comfortable and more safe in the place that she was in and been such a big life changer in a way for her that that's what she wants to to share with others and to support others who have gone through a similar journey um, with. And I think like you were saying about yourself coming out of prison and, you know, where do you find safety? And me, myself, I am in a much more privileged position because I've grown up here in in safety and security my whole life and I don't feel like I've experienced racism that much in my life and um you know I'm not I haven't got that lived experience as Mariam that I've just described has so I think that's another thing isn't it like where as much as possible can people lead who are the ones with the lived experience like you have been doing and that's why you're so so passionate isn't it and um, determined in your work because you have experienced it yeah for sure I'll definitely have to check out this um, herbal project Um, so yeah I'm aware I'm taking lots of your time but I've just got a a few more questions Um, I yeah I know you've been involved with misery um, which one of my besties Victor has also been involved with Um, Mm. I just wondered if you could share like what this involves and like how yeah how it's been for you like what what the project does Misery, yeah, it's a beautiful one. Um, yeah, so Misery is a mental health collective for queer um, people and people of colour. Um, that is, yeah, I guess it's originated in London, but has a worldwide following, it looks like. And they've been on quite a journey. There's a, a little collective of people, and I had met two of them, Aisha and Soha, who um are part of the the group that founded it and the idea was to make safe spaces safer spaces for queer people of color um queer and trans people of color in london and they started off doing um parties sober raves um in venues in london where people could come together just to share and um i remember having a conversation with aisha around the origins of it and how it had come to be and saying that it just felt like it was really needed a space where people were able to be themselves and feel less like having to code switch or having the discomfort of being in a white dominated world Um, and so they started to make these gatherings and it turned out that there was a huge thirst for this and plenty of people were coming and the community formed around that and that was pre-covid and um then i think yeah they went online doing sessions around 
um, experiences of trauma, things like addiction, um, and yeah, plenty of different aspects of mental health experience. And was just really supportive, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and at one point I met Aisha and saw her who had come on a, a course that I ran um, where a lot of it was outside because I think it was during this pandemic time where we would go to Walthamstow marshes and meet different plants through the spring and summer and connect with the land. Um, and they really loved it, the two of them, and said to me, oh, we'd love to do a course like this for our collective, for our misery group, for as a POC, people of colour only group. And would you be up for being involved so I said yeah of course and then um yeah so the following year I think we started doing it and it started off just with a couple of facilitators which was myself and Maimana who's an amazing um mushroom knowing person and forager and educator and artist um and so we decided to do a monthly plant herb walk in different spots around London in big wild places like um, Tower Hamlet Cemetery Park and yeah it became a monthly gathering um, for people to come and connect to feel safer in nature to be with each other to learn about plant medicine but not only about herbalism about many different aspects um, of land connection so into it came sort of creative um activity and mushroom foraging and it was very seasonal as well um so that was i guess 2021 um and it was just really well responded to like the first one like a hundred people turned up and me and my man were like whoa how are we gonna do this um and so like that it went on yeah and it became a regular thing um and through the last year a, a larger pool of facilitators has come and joined and it's meant that there's a whole lot of different skills so it became not just about herbalism but about many different things nature connected things so there's maybe I don't know around 10 people in the facilitators group now and Misery have been um, quite successful at getting funding to support it uh, and it's been an amazing resource, I think, for people coming together and making friends and finding support in each other in natural spaces. And I think a lot of it was about people either not having had connected that much in wild nature, partly because of not feeling welcome or feeling excluded or not feeling safe or comfortable. Um, and also growing up in London, you know, sometimes not having that much access to to natural environment sort of yeah bigger land so I think it's been a big learning and it's been beautiful in the sense that people have really developed friendships and got to know each other and other projects have built and come out of the misery or misery plant magic um, and so uh, people have had a sort of continuity of learning and again this is part of the community building I think isn't it like where people have started to build their knowledge of plant medicine um, as well as other areas um, that have been shared, like the mushroom foraging. Um, a big element, a really big, powerful element of it has been the presence of Claudia Manchanda, who's radical herbalist of London, who's always been a great agitator and questioner of the systems um, of oppression that we live in and healthcare inequality, as well as injustice in in many many other areas of life so has really brought that voice of 
you know, what do we mean when we're talking about decolonizing, say, ecology or herbal medicine? Where Whose knowledge is it? Where is it coming from? What have we appropriated? Um, you know, bringing a lot of attention and learning for us all um, as part of the facilitators group with Misery. Um, and that continues and you can um, look, you can see it because films have been made, a lot, of, a lot of creative people in the Misery Collective. So there's been a series of short films that have been made of the walks that you can watch on YouTube, um, on their YouTube channel. I think it's Misery Party, um, if people are interested to, to look at those. But it's just quite a big, joyous, loving gathering of people, really. Um, quite a beautiful thing to be part of. Um, and that continues once a month. I think it's the first Saturday of each month. I've not been doing so much of it um, this last year because of, yeah, having lots on and a sort of diminished capacity in a way myself but then the the space has been filled you know with plenty of other people who are bringing a lot of fresh energy into it so amazing and like how has it felt for you to be involved um with that project because like I know the the kind of mainstream herbal world is very like white dominated right in terms of the UK context at least I just wondered yeah how that how that's felt kind of personally Yeah, it's been it's been a real learning for me, I think, because um, as you say, that is the case with the UK herbal scene, I would say. And I think living in London, you it does feel a lot different than my experiences of living in other parts of the UK, because obviously it's way more diverse. You've got much greater access to um, intercultural situations and then myself obviously being of Indian heritage and being Asian and being brown you know I'm just more automatically connected I think with um, more diversity than perhaps a lot of UK white herbalists um, and it started to be a thing and I think this is happening now because we've got a newer generation a younger generation of people that are coming through where we are now living in a world where it's been so much more unpacked isn't it everything is way more visible in terms of histories that have been suppressed um injustices through hundreds of years uh, ever more exposed and revealed aren't they and that learning is more available and accessible to people and a big part of that is through social media also isn't it so you've got this um i'd say kind of massive new cohort of people that have much greater awareness uh, and are much more ready now to to face what has happened and to look at okay how do we restore and repair harms that have been done and that continue to be done because uh, of histories of colonialism and um yeah i suppose that that kind of expansionist colonialism that has sought to dominate and destroy other worldviews and sort of diversity of cultures through through centuries now and i think we're looking at yeah a real desire to address that and I feels like that is part of what is going on with the movement in herbal medicine as well so for years I've been having people come to me specifically because I'm a herbalist of color because that is what they want and you know whether it's culturally or in other ways they feel more comfortable um, doing that which then you know necessarily throws up the the realization that there aren't that many this colour within the whole scene in the UK and it means that we start to build networks of people um, 
So I'm in connection with a lot of herbalists, I suppose, here that in London that are that identify as people of colour and who have specific kind of orientations in their work around that, like Claudia and like Pandake, who's um, a herbalist in Tottenham, who very specifically works within African Caribbean community um, and is also training in a West African healing modality. Um, and Sherelle Douglas, who's based in South London, who came and did a talk at the Power of Plants Festival, um, which is organised by the National Institute of Medical Herbalists, which, you know, obviously historically is a white domain. And there's a situation where we invite people to come into those spaces. And we organised with Bex and Anne when we organised a community herbalism session where we invited Sherelle to talk about work that she's doing and she spoke really really courageously and honestly about being a black woman herbalist and what that means in terms of her life experience and her own practices um, and what she is responding to in in her work and the needs of black community um, in London uh, and that can that can arouse resistance I think and it did even within that workshop um, where somebody responded by saying oh I think you talk too much about race you know and it's it's about other things as well and it feels like you know when someone has brought that energy and been given the energy to speak in that kind of space and then to have that response is painful it's hurtful it can be harmful and I think Cheryl did amazing because she responded to the person and said I think you do need to listen to people's experiences and not dismiss them and so it kind of led to more conversation around it but I think yeah certain areas isn't it that people can be sometimes resistant to and not want to hear um what's being said because there's a maybe invisible yeah invisible layers of hierarchy that haven't been quite unpacked and I think that's where we are at this moment in history isn't it all of this is just being unpacked and turned inside out and it's really uncomfortable um so, yeah, for me, I think in relation to misery, it's been so, so interesting to be in that kind of space as someone, like I said, that I feel like I don't necessarily have the lived experiences some, as much as some other people in this land of, you know, actively, I feel like I haven't, it may well have happened, but, I, you know, I'm not living with that experience of feeling like I've been actively excluded or oppressed or discriminated against. And so for me, it's also a learning journey to be um, within that POC only group and also see the range of experiences within it. You know, you've got, if we're talking about race based on skin color, people of color, then it's a massive range from, you know, every, every hue of skin. Um, and for me, it's been a big interesting thing that almost more than the sort of racial categorizing it's been a generational and age thing because now I'm 44 and I'm not in my 20s or 30s I feel like I am in a next phase of life and then the misery collective is often represents you know 20s and 30s people um that are growing and living in a different way that I did and in a way that feels like more of a an interesting bridge even then, the colour question. Um, so it's been really interesting and it's been so um, eye-opening for me, I think, 
to be together with people and to hear different experiences and to understand people's responses now to what has been accepted so far, you know, and what is not, you know, people are not prepared to accept anymore uh, in terms of racism and sort of colonial structures that remain embedded to this day. So it feels very hopeful um, because there's a great sort of peacefulness about it as well, about how people want to respond to injustice ongoingly and bring, you know, I think such a big part of it, of, uh, of the racist colonial process that has gone on is that we don't know about the power uh, and the quality of cultures that have been oppressed and I think what movements like misery are bringing is the the desire to bring that into vision and to centralize to center it more what ancestral traditions can represent um, what they can bring into the mix of culture that we have here when we're thinking about care and health uh, not saying it's entirely straightforward um, and that it isn't, you know, ancestral connection isn't problematic even in diaspora cultures, but it seems to me what's missing a lot of the time in the societies that we live in in this country is that, you know, it's such a lot of separation, isn't it? What Lisa used to call atomization. Um, and I think the focus now on centering um, cultures from other parts that have been sort of destroyed and desecrated it has a lot of potential for bringing care back into how we relate to each other if that makes sense yeah for real for real it sounds yeah it sounds like it's been really kind of liberating and expansive for lots of people that I've kind of interacted with who've been involved um and yeah thank you for sharing those reflections um I'm really aware of kind of time and I know I had a couple of other questions but I might if it's okay, I might just like amalgamate them into one. Um, Cause yeah, there was something you wrote on your blog and it was like literally 10 years ago or more after you graduated about, um, you wrote, uh, but stepping out of the cocoon of herbalist teachers and like-minded folk through the years of study, I emerge into a world where our impact seems negligible. And then you've written that, you know, it's not true that, you know, um, that the world over traditional medicine is central and vital um, and yeah, I just, I'm really fascinated to hear like how you're feeling all this time later, like having been such an active, amazing community herbalist, like what, yeah, what are your kind of like final reflections on, on herbalism? And yeah, if you still feel that feeling of the impact feels negligible or if it's changed, um, and if you've got any other thoughts on kind of where like herbalism in general is going or what needs to happen to kind of move it in a more liberating direction. I'd be really welcome to hear your to hear your thoughts. Mm, yeah, nice. Yeah, I guess it's a while. Yeah, I yeah, it's a long time since I wrote that little part of that blog, isn't it? And I feel like the scene has changed such a lot. I think you probably agree with you that there's been shifts um, because many, many more people are coming to get involved with herbalism, um, as I've seen through my own work, through my own journey of you know doing the teaching um it continues to be that people are coming to get involved in the community apothecary project and I'll, I'll never yeah it seems to never stop I'll always be 
amazed and delighted how many people keep coming and showing me ways that they're already practicing um, land relationship and herbal medicine. Um, so as many people as there are, it feels like there's potential for people to be practicing, isn't there, and bringing their own ideas. That feels like the beauty of herbal medicine. I think what's really interesting, it'd be cool to hear what you think on this, is like the different levels of practice, isn't it? And we've had this situation where there's a bit of a hierarchy of, okay, so you're a trained you know, medical herbalist, qualified, so you can treat people. And then there are people in the community where that word lay herbalist is used. Um, and what's been interesting through the years is encountering people that are making things at home and that may be supporting their families and their communities with it, particularly if it's in that diasporic way where they don't necessarily feel like their lives and their needs are met by the primary healthcare system or even by herbalists that aren't of their cultures, say. Um, say if, you know, from what I've heard from African and Caribbean community herbalists that there's such a, a core integral spiritual aspect to healthcare practice that is absent um, from say European herbalism um, that's a generalization but you know that's a uh, a situation that's been described to me so yeah it's like where what is the respect for these different forms of herbal medicine um, how do we I think it's an ongoing question isn't it like where do we where are we able to give support in appropriate ways to different people with different kinds of needs and I feel like I don't know how you feel about this but it feels like even in terms of the relationship between say the NHS or the mainstream healthcare system and something like herbal medicine there's been some level of shift in recent years where through developing our project, the Community Apothecary, and through organic lease connections with the council and public health and things like local GP surgeries and social prescribing, there's been a bit more of a relationship building between, say, um, doctor surgeries where we've been, we've been this last year developing herb gardens within GP surgeries on their land, which feels quite amazing. Um, to be doing after you know the histories that we've lived through of that absolute separation um, between biomedicine and herbal medicine it's something Lisa actually spoke about years ago was coming to do these kinds of herbal plant medicine workshops within GP surgeries and so it obviously always depends on the individual practice and the the people that you encounter and how supportive um, the healthcare workers are of what we're doing uh, which is a, a big range isn't it but um, at least from the way that the NHS has been articulating certain approaches in public health, a lot of it now um, is coming to sort of environmental nature practices, isn't it? And things like this five steps to well-being that is around social connection and being physically healthful and being in green spaces together. And so, you know, it sounds quite sort of, what's the word? Uh, what the word for that is, but that sort of expediency of looking for funding is like, oh, now there's a big focus on all of this for healthcare, but that's where we want to be going anyway, isn't it? It's like connecting people up and coming out together to be in the garden together. Um, so, yeah, something around integration. I've always felt like um, 
in this country particularly like it's so different from somewhere like India where you've got a real plurality of healthcare and there's this book called In the Bone Setters Waiting Room I think um, it's called by Arati Prasad that was I read a few years ago that really spoke to me about that where she describes this sort of myriad um, landscape of healthcare in India where you can access literally everything from like the highest cutting edge um, state-of-the-art cardiac um, health hospitals to the person on the street that's treating you with the roots of the earth um, and everything in between and what what she speaks about there is that there's this uh, world view or sort of paradigm where it isn't believed that primary pharmaceutical medicine is the only and the dominant and the main way of doing healthcare that there are so many different ways as we know and I feel like that's the future in a way here if that is possible I don't know quite what the route is but it's quite interesting working with people like organically to figure out ways of like okay you're maybe not directly bringing herbal medicine treating people in within the GP surgery but you're introducing it in different ways um because it's something that humans have always been doing that we've always been aware of but we've built up these systems whereby the doctor will come and say oh that's not evidence-based so therefore it's not valid and we can't use it and you know that's quite um that's still I guess isn't it the sort of major way of that herbal medicine is seen still in this country um but yeah how do we move more towards that integrative connection with the healthcare system um and I notice um you might I guess you might be noticing this that there are plenty more healthcare practitioners that are coming to learn about herbal medicine I remember when I was studying with Hananya uh, at Middlesex and she was going over to do lectures or seminars with medical students and you know this kind of direction I wonder where um, it could like inch by inch start to affect more potential but then you also you then encounter the risk don't you of that idea of um, regulation of herbal medicine and that's a whole another area that um, is potentially problematic um, but yeah so there's I think different levels and then, then I think what we're trying to do with the community apothecary is really seed and root the practice and the knowledge in in our in our networks in the street and in the locality and that's what I dream of is this you know situation where there's herb gardens everywhere so that people are really you know they're seeing the medicine all the time and they're touching it and they're connected with it and they're learning always more and more how to that's we really we're learning more and more how to be in relationship with these plants and how to make medicines with them and just bringing it more regularly into life which I feel like it has been happening uh it feels like that's been happening more widely um and the idea of intermediary sort of practitioners or like facilitators for community health maybe where people like the ones of our networks that are learning with us okay they may, might not go and go on to train to become a medical herbalist but can we get to a certain level of knowledge that is safe and effective where they can be supporting people to be using herbal medicine um beneficially in the community um yeah these types of things and and then yeah like we've talked about I guess it feels just really crucial for the liberatory impetus to always be present in our communal practices like 
having that framework really explicit and articulated always when we're talking about herbal medicine that it's not we're not being extractive we're not just wanting to say oh here's another way that we can take from the earth and make ourselves better with it but what is the history of it it's so important isn't it to look at the history of herbal medicine and what you know that's been such a big informer in my own practice I think to learning about inequalities around healthcare, gender-based and sort of um in, yeah thinking about indigenous cultures and what has happened uh, with the destruction of land and destruction of life ways uh, we need to always remember that when we're talking about herbal medicine and um, make that a key part of the way that we share the knowledge and the history as we go on and I feel like the you know more people coming in from backgrounds of being a person of color say from being of different heritages coming into herbal medicine that is um slowly informing it more um like some of the courses you know seeking to bring in uh more decolonial history information in the content of the courses and this kind of thing which i see to be a change that's happening yeah sometimes i'm like is it because i'm in an echo chamber like on instagram of like seeing all these amazing projects like mm, around the world yeah but- there is that <laughs> It does. It does feel like it really does feel like there's a shift. Like it does feel like, yeah. Like I think it's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like, I think, yeah. Like I've got a younger brother, um, and he's just like, you know, doesn't really drink much. Like really into like fitness and stuff. And that's like partly from this like Instagram land of like people being really into like health and being like really health conscious and stuff which I think when I was a kid where you're just like getting drunk and dropping pills and like no one gives a shit so it's like I do just feel like our whole culture is like yeah like you said thinking more about like lifestyle medicine or integrative medicine and but we're at a kind of like infant stage of it if that makes sense like we're at a you know like yeah like the kind of still quite individualist kind of mainstream almost like capitalist approaches to health but then there's just like all these layers underneath that people are just like peeling and peeling and peeling being like what about race what about class what about colonialism like what about access to land like do you know what I mean and I just think like people Mm. are Mm. slowly peeling away together and like we are maybe yeah like getting somewhere collectively but yeah I'm aware I've taken so much of your time so I just want to say like thank you so much and was there anything else you wanted to share before we finish um and also like where can people find your work like I'll put everything you mentioned in the show notes um and a link to your website and stuff but um yeah oh, thank you Nicole I mean each question's so interesting that you could just go on all day couldn't you <laughs> about these different areas and yeah I really appreciate it because it makes me you know each time you ask these questions you're always sort of reframing and rethinking and questioning aren't you so yeah thanks a lot um and yeah I, I we always invite people to come and get involved in community apothecary which if you're in London if you're in east London obviously it's easier to get to but really always welcome people and always up for because I think what we're doing here all the different like you say the different niches in the ecosystem everyone's doing slightly different variations aren't they that are really responsive to the particular locality that you're in and um 
Bex and Anwen and I have just seen this morning that you've been putting together a book, which is really exciting. Um, and Bex and Anwen and I are very slowly working on this sort of book manual about community herbalism in the UK and the different ways that it expresses and manifests. So I feel like it's always really inspiring and strengthening to be in contact with each other like this and to share um, ways of doing things and also challenges and problems that come up and ways that we can collectively work through stuff. But I think you're totally right. It definitely feels like early, yeah, infant stages of working through this together, which feels quite hopeful. Um, but yeah, I can share links with you for, for the different things. Um, and I suppose, yeah, maybe a last thing that I'd say is um, about that integration connection as a way to, yeah, to transform the separation that we're all experiencing in so many ways and healthcare. I think, you know, listening to Dr. Abu Ghassan speaking about Gaza's situation and how health is such um, a crucial, integral part of liberation from oppression um, and the way that we do it is so key isn't it and it feels like doing it collectively together and um, so there's an idea that we're developing of making a queer healing space in London um, which is slowly birthing but a way of having a place where people can come together to access peer supportive mutual healthcare with different kinds of healing modalities of, you know accessible to each other feels like it's a good way forward doesn't it and herbalism is part of that um, as a response to, yeah, to the imbalances that have been happening uh, and that, that affect all of our health. Um, so, yeah, I suppose more to come, hopefully, on that as we go on. But massive thanks to you. It was amazing to speak with you. Oh, and, um, massive thanks to you. And I'll, I'll never, ever forget for my whole life when my friend Taylor, who died, who killed himself last year, was in a coma in London and I was staying, like, in Croydon or something, visiting him every day at the hospital and I just text you being like I'm not coping <laughs> and you made this like amazing like root decoction of like all these amazing I can't even remember what was inside it but this mm -hmm. like amazing immune tonic for me and posted it to me and it just yeah it just completely oh. kept me going oh. so yeah I, <laughs> I really appreciate your like amazing contributions to herbalism and I know a lot of things can also be like invisible like all the workshops we do in the gardens and you know like I just yeah I just want to say I think it's really inspiring and I wanted to start this series about community herbalism with um you know with that focus and that kind of mm. intimate mm -hmm. local like rooted kind of style of approaching herbalism so yeah thank you so That's much for fun. your time lots of love okay. people. take care all right take care lots of love bye Thanks so much for listening to the Frontline Herbalism podcast. You can find the transcript, the links, all the resources from the show at solidarityapothecary.org forward slash podcast.